by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. We're going to continue our series entitled The All-Important... Was anybody here last week? (laughs) The All-Important... Why? Why do we do what we do? And being Father's Day, I thought it would be good maybe that I could teach on some wonderful examples of fathers in the Bibles that we can look up to and for guidance and see how examples. And, and I got to look it in the Bible and not so much. <laughs> there's not a lot of really good examples of fathers in the Bible. There's some good men, but there's not a whole lot of examples. If you found one, let me know. Might be a little late now, but I found Noah, and I thought, well, Noah's pretty good. Noah was, it says Noah was a righteous man, and we use, we throw out that term righteous. What, what does that mean? Well, that means in a society probably worse than the society we have here today that's mocking Christians, and, and we don't know, we don't know the extent of it here in America, but it's starting to get pretty bad, right? But, but in a place where Christianity was unheard of righteousness was not accepted in Noah's day in fact God had to wipe that whole crew out they were so bad but Noah stood for righteousness in the midst of that wicked and perverse generation in the in the worst of the worst Noah did what was right in God's sight that's big and also Noah was extremely faithful I mean think about it in the midst of all that persecution and people laughing at you, you're building this big boat on dry land. <laughs> I mean, that had to be, and every day, this took like most of his life to build that ark. He was faithful every morning, get up, and go to work, and do what God called him to do, even though it didn't make any sense. Some of you may feel like that. I go to work every day, it don't make a bit of sense to me. But you do it. You're faithful, man. Now, how does that equate to being a good father. You're righteous and you're faithful. Well, Noah's righteousness and his faithfulness to do what God asked saved his children when the flood came, didn't it? Because his children got on the boat with him. So, fellas, think about that. In a a sense, Noah set a new course for all of human history. And guys, I want to explain something to you. When you live a righteous life, when you're faithful to God, when you first give your heart to Jesus and make a turn in your life, you're not just making a turn in your life, you're making a turn in future generations of your children. You may come from generational curses, you may come from a background of everybody in your family drank, or everybody in your family was abusive, or they yelled and screamed, they didn't take care of, they did this, or, and, and it may be long, it may be generations back that this has just been wreaking havoc in your family, but you stood for righteousness. You gave your heart to Jesus and said, I'm going to live different. I'm going to let God change me. And when you did, you affected the future. If, if Jesus tarries, which I don't see how he can, but if he does, you are changing the path for your children. They're not going to see what they, you saw. They're going to see better days, and you're going to make a new way. 
in a new direction, and that's good. That's changing the, setting the course of human history for your family. And you can be that man. But then, after the ark settled down on the mountaintop and dry land appeared, Noah began to grow some grapes, and he found out you could make wine out of it. <laughs> he started getting drunk. Oh, my God. He got drunk and embarrassed his kids, you know. And There's no perfect earthly dads, is there? I mean, you can do mostly that, but we're all just, we're people. I remember, to me, when I was little, my dad, man, he hung the moon. I just wanted to be around him. You know, I couldn't wait for him to get home in the afternoon. I didn't see him a lot because he, he would, you know, well, my mom and dad got a divorce when I was eight. But before that, I mean, he would hunt and fish. And that's why they got a divorce. <laughs> but he was a big hunter and fisher. He was never home. But, but I would want to go with him. And every now and then he'd take me or something. But when I, I just couldn't wait to be with my dad. And I remember this one time, and I was probably six or seven. I don't remember. But he came home, he, I, we lived next to my grandmother, I was at my grandmother's house, and he came driving up in the driveway, I was so happy to see him, ran to him, how you doing daddy, hey, 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 uh, I, I can run real fast, and I wanted to show him how I could run, and, and he was in the truck with, uh, he got out, and he was with his work buddy, and they were drinking a slits, you know, and uh, enjoying themselves, they were probably two or three sheets to the wind already, and uh, I said, watch how fast I can run, daddy, and I, and let's just say for the record, I am the world's slowest human being. <laughs> uh, but, you know, to a kid, it didn't matter. I run all the way to the barn, and, and he was like, good job, good job. Let me see how fast you can come back. So I'm, I'm trucking it. And then, you know, I've got my big feet going this way and everything, and I'm coming down there towards my daddy, and he's got his arms wide open. And I'm fixing to run to daddy. And I get there, and I go to jump in his arms, and daddy moves. <laughs> And there's a pine tree behind Daddy. And I go, a and laid out. And him and his buddy, ah, that ain't good. What are y'all laughing about? Y'all need to repent for laughing at that. Oh, that was not one of his best moments. How many know that can scar a kid? Not just on his, man, my nose was bloody and stuff. Oh, he picked me up and tried to make up for it. But we, dads, we need to set a better example than that, you know. But you know, my dad, he was in his 20s. He was just a kid himself. And, and which one of us can say we hadn't had our pine tree moments as a dad? Where we just really mess up royally, you know. But he, did, he also did a lot of things right. But the best thing he did right was he kept getting better. He kept improving. He started to realize his mistakes and started get, being a better dad as time went on. And, you know, there was a time when I was a grown man and I had a lot of bitterness from things that happened. And me and him sat down on the couch after I gave my heart to Jesus. And I told him I forgive him. And I asked him to forgive me for being such a bonehead kid. And so there was reconciliation. Some of you need to do that with your dad. You know, you, yeah, you've been through some difficult times, and there, it's always, you know, nobody is, is perfect in, in a family relationship, in any family relationship. So there needs to be a time where you just sit down and make things right with people, and I did. And uh, 
over time, my dad ended up being one of the best grandparents that I've ever seen. You know, he, he would take my brother's three sons and my son hunting and fishing and spend time with them, you know, quality time, and he would raise them up. He, they were, I think, probably one of their favorite grandparents. And uh, one time my daughter, she had a, her first truck that we bought her, and about a couple of weeks later, you know, the water pump or something goes out. And I'm thinking, I don't have the money. We're going, that thing's going to sit in the yard or whatever. But my dad took it to his house. He spent days working on it, and he fixed it for You know, he just really became a, a good granddad. And so there's always moving forward. So if we say anything about dads today, and it really, dads, you say, oh, uh, he's speaking, talking bad about me. Don't think that way. Because anytime we preach a message about doing right, there's going to be people that feel like, well, I haven't done right. But just take it in stride and move forward. That's the way we do. We get back up and we move forward. We're always we're moving forward, people. Stop, you know, we, we examine the past to see what we can learn, but we don't stay in the past and we move forward. Today's message, and it's on your sheet, which has your announcements, all important announcements. Does anybody need one of those? We're trying to get in the habit of everybody getting your bulletin and putting it on your uh, refrigerator at home so you remember the announcements. Today's message is entitled, Why God Revealed Himself as a Father. Why God Reveals Himself as a Father. Well, first of all, it's clearly because we need His example. We need a perfect example, and He sets the bar for us to know what we're supposed to do. You know, today in society, it's, it's real cool to take the bar away and say, everybody's just equal. And then nobody excels. That's not God's way. God sets the bar high. He knows there'll be a gap between you and him. But he says, begin to make it up. Work towards righteousness. And uh, obviously we need things from our Father in heaven that we can't or we just simply don't get from our earthly dad. He's, he's behind the scenes. He's the one that we know will come through for us. Jesus says when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven. And we're so used to that. We've grown up in church, some of us, or we've grown up in America, and that's close enough, where we hear Father God, and we hear that term thrown out there. But that's pretty special. If you really think about the God of the universe calling you his children. You know, the, the Muslims, they don't call their God Father. They, they wouldn't dare do that. They don't have that kind of relationship. And oh, by the way, their God is not our God. It's a totally different false God that they serve. But our God, he wants us to call him Father. In fact, in Romans 8.15, <coughs> it says, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you into his, as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. Abba, that's an endearing term, meaning something like what we would say, Daddy. He doesn't just want you to call him Father. He wants you to know him like you would know your earthly daddy, like you would spend time and that you, and you, you just father would sound too formal. That daddy is what you, oh, dad, dad. And I often do. As I get to know him more, I just want to, I, I call him dad. Thank you for this when I pray or dad, dad. And, and I believe he likes us to be intimate. The more intimate, the better with our father. From the very beginning, we begin to see the traits of a father in our God. 
when he, when he created Adam and Eve in the garden. He's the creator, right? And in the man is the seed, right? And I want you to, as I begin to talk about uh, God's fatherly traits, I want you to see yourself. He created us in his image. And do you see resemblance in your children? <laughs> How is the resemblance is passed on? He wants us to live, he wants us to be an image of him, a representation of our father here on the earth. He was concerned about Adam emotionally. Adam, you know, he had everything, but he was like, like lacking something. And God said, I know what it is. I'm going to get you a helper. And he was concerned about his relationships. He was, and, and that's what a good dad does. You're, if you've got a daughter and she's going through it, you don't just laugh at her. You get down and you maybe cry with her. Then, then you get your gun out. No, <laughs> don't do that. But he loved to bless Adam and Eve. Our father, he loves to bless, to provide. Everything that they needed was in the garden. Everything. He had made a world for them. And, and as fathers, we do that for our children. He teach, teach them to make decisions. He doesn't want to do everything for us. He wants us to grow up. There's a time when we're babes, you know, in Christ, and he does everything for us. But there's a time he starts saying, stand on your own faith, son. And he, he told Adam to name the animals. You know, he gave him responsibility. God gives us a why. That's what we've been talking about. The why behind everything. And God wants you to have a why. He doesn't want you just floating through this life like it doesn't matter. He wants you to know why you're here. In Genesis 1.28, it says, God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And he could say the same about his kingdom. He could say, now that you're a Christian, be fruitful. Joy, love, and peace. Multiply. Go tell somebody else. And replenish this earth and subdue it for the kingdom of God. He spent considerable time with them, walking with them in the evening. And you know that, that may be one of the precious gifts we have is time. And when you spend it with your children, it means so much to them. He taught them how to trust him, to depend on him, to respect and obey him. Those are important things. That was probably one of my biggest weaknesses as a parent. I was the cool dad. You know, I, I was like, I'd, I'd see other people, you know, being strict disciplinarians, and I'd say, I'm not going to be that way. I'm, I'm going to let my kids go, you know. And I, and I was kind of inconsistent. And then I see their kids growing up nice and, my kids grew up nice too. <laughs> no, but I mean that was one of that was my problem. Uh, you got to you got to teach them to respect and obey authority. If you don't teach them, then the police will teach them, and if the police don't teach them, somebody's gun will. So it's important to teach them to respect and obey you, the authorities, and God. Ultimately, uh, he teaches them. He, he taught them what not to do. He tested them, said, don't eat of that tree, and they failed. So when they failed, he disciplined them. Father's job to discipline, and it needs to be consistent. It needs to be fair. And then he covered their shame. 
Bible says in Genesis 3.21, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. So they were naked, and they were ashamed because of their sin. But God clothed them so that they wouldn't be ashamed. And we need to do that, fathers. We don't need to guilt our children. We don't need to shame them to teach them right. We need to be the one there to cover them. Love covers a multitude of sins. They need to know they can trust us. God knew we'd make mistakes. He knew Adam and Eve would sin, but yet he had them anyway. And he already had a plan. And he had already determined before he created them that they were worth dying for. And that's pretty awesome. 1 Peter 1, 18 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless lamb. God chose him as a ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. You see, he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth, before you were even uh, thought in your, a gleam in your father's eye. You know, he knew that he would have to die on that cross in your place. And, and it was already prepared before time that, he, that you were willing, he was willing to die for you. It's pretty awesome. He protects us. And then maybe his most empowering attribute for us as people is his unconditional love. You know what I'm saying? How many of you have ex experienced that? You, you, when you came to Christ, and I know I did, and the first time I sinned after I was a, a born-again Christian, and I knew the love of God, and I knew I should, and I knew better, and I did it anyway, after that, boy, condemnation tried to eat me up. The devil was, aha! And I thought for sure God doesn't love me anymore now. But that wasn't the case. That was when I discovered his love was the deepest. That was when I really discovered how much he loved me, when he loved me even after I knew better and I failed. In Romans 8, 38, it talks about his love. It says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Maybe you've done something you, and you're feeling separated. You're, you're 1 John 1, 9 away from all your sins being washed away. He says, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. You know, our fears and worries, that, that, that doesn't move God's love from us. That's our issues. Nor the powers of, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. So you, don't you do it. If, if the devil himself can't do it, Nobody can snatch you from our Father's hand. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And let me say, Jesus loved his Father so much, he had no problem with, with going to the cross if his Father asked him to. Just like Isaac. You remember Isaac? Abraham brought Isaac up here. Isaac could have outrun Abraham. Let's just be honest. Abraham was 100 years old. Isaac got up on that, that pile of wood for his father. That, that is a sign of a good father. When your son is willing to die for your 
for you and for what you want. God wants his children to be like him. So he's careful to set a good example. He's not like, do what I say, not what I do. He sets the example. He even wrote us a book. So God wants us to be like him. If I were to go back, I, I put in bold some of the things I said here. He's our creator, created in his image. He cares about us emotionally. He wants to bless us, provide for us, teach us. He gives us the why of our life. He spends considerable time with us. He teaches us to trust, depend on him, to respect, obey. He tests us. He disciplines us. He covers our shame. He already had a plan. He's willing to die for us. He protects us, and his unconditional love just empowers us to know that we can go for it and that we can fail, and, and it's okay. It's okay. I wrote this, and this is on your sheet. A Christian father may be God's most effective tool on earth. That's a big statement. God could have any tool he wanted. <laughs> it's all God's. You know, maybe to Muhammad, his most effective tool would be a nuclear weapon that he could kill people with. But to God, of course, his love, I think, would probably be the most powerful weapon. But his love through a father may be his most effective tool on earth. George Herbert says it like this. One father is more than a hundred schoolmasters. One father is more influential to a child than a hundred schoolmasters, is what he's saying. And this is on your sheet. There's no better way to change the world for good than to be the father you were called to be. Don't you see that? Is, isn't it evident what's going on in our world today is because of a lack of fathers being fathers? A lack of our children growing up and knowing what difference in right and wrong and having a, a respect and authority, having their fears washed away through that unconditional love, being able to step up for righteousness and do the right things in this world. Edmund Burke says the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. See, if good men would just be good men, they would live out their Christianity, evil would have no chance. But when good men do nothing, evil triumphs. Where are the American dads? I don't say that and cast it over you because I see good dads in this church. I see fine, exemplary dads in this church. And I'm, and I'm glad. And I'm, we are celebrating together. But we must ask the question, how are we going to change America? Because I've got some statistics. 43% of U.S. children live without a father, according to the U.S. Department of Census. 43% of children in America have no father in the home. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless families. 63%. That's five times the average, and that's according to the U.S. Department of Health. I have references for all these. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. That's 32 times the average. 90% of all our homeless people 
had no father. 90%. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 20 times the average. 85%. Behavior disorders because no father in the home. 80% of rapists and people with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes nine times the average. According to the National Center for Fathering, fatherless, fatherless almost four times more likely to be poor. The fathers are almost four times likely to be poor. Does it make, does it make a difference if a dad's in the home? I mean, we're seeing staggering numbers here, and I have... The sources on all these, if you'd like to see them, the United States Department of Health and Human Services states fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk, dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse. Juvenile detention rates, 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, 70% come from fatherless homes. Being raised by a single mother raises the risk of teen pregnancy and marrying with less or marrying somebody with less than a high school degree. Confused identities. Boys who grow up in a father-absent home are more likely than those in father-present homes to have trouble establishing appropriate sex roles and gender identity. Come on, people. The problem in America is good men are doing nothing. And the most important thing that we can do is be there. Just show up for work as a dad. Just be there. Let's turn to Ephesians 6, 4. And when you get there, we're going to find out what to do. Don't have a lot of home scriptures today. This might be considered our core scripture today. Maybe the most prominent biblical directive for fathers. Because it directs them, I mean, it directly calls them out. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And that's what Angie's always quoting to me. I get so tired of hearing this. I'm probably a better pastor than I am a dad. Uh, Many of us have learned our parenting skills everywhere else except the Bible. You know, maybe we had a bad example of a dad or a mom or grandparents. or We, we, we listen to other people tell us how to raise our children. We go everywhere except the Word of God to teach. And uh, some of us are way too severe with our children or rash. We're unreasonable with them, and that's all part of that provoking them. We make up needless rules. You know what I'm saying? It's like we don't pick our battles. I, I notice parents, they're, they're like, they fight their children every step of the way, and, and if you pick a battle, everything is a battle between you and your children, pretty soon the children just tune you out. Hell yeah, and they just learn to fight back. And it just becomes a constant, if you'd be wise, you'd pick your battles. And you'd let children be children when they need to be children because they're, they're just little children. 
We expect them to be, have the same mentality that we do. We want them to be quiet when we want to be quiet. We want them to do this and that. Let your children be, their chi- be, be the children and, and, and set clear boundaries so that they know right or wrong. And then when they have right or wrong, be consistent in how you discipline them. Be consistent. But see, you can't be consistent if everything they do is wrong. It wears you out. It wears them out. It exasperates them. It provokes them to anger. So pick your battles. What, it, what is really important? Is there giggling and having fun really something that you're going you're gonna to die on that mountain? You know, my grandfather, my papa, he was never once wrong in his entire life. Never once Ever. No matter how many scientists he had to, we had backing us up and claims and facts and little things like that, you know. If you would argue with him and make him mad, hit the road, boy. It, that was it. Hit the road. He would tell he would have a whole house full of people come over, and if they get on his nerves, he just up and everybody hit the road. And then my, my grandmama, please don't don't tell, come on, calm down, pa. You hit the road too, Mary. Everybody hit the road. (laughs) That's part of provoking people. Because you're the dad don't mean you're the dictator, okay? Provoke means to exasperate, to incite, to irritate. Along those lines of picking your battles and and learning moderation. And and, uh, My daughter Kaylee when she was young, and I was a young Christian at the time, and I can't even blame this on my heathenism. Uh, she was at a daycare center, and they kept calling us. She's having behavior. Just, she, she can't be controlled, and she's, she's quite a handful if you know my little Kaylee, especially when she was little. She's, she's calm now. But they called me one day and, and said, this is the fourth time this week she's got one. She, they've had to turn over a card or whatever they were doing, you know. Well, I, I just put too much stock in them cards, I guess, because I said, uh-huh, I'm fixing to correct this. And I picked her up that day, and I didn't say a word to her. Now, she's, I want you to mind, she's four or five years old. This happened in the morning when the teacher called me. I don't know what happened. She might have been good all afternoon. But I drove, I didn't say a word, and she's like, what's wrong, Daddy, what's wrong? And I'm putting a guilt trip on her. She, she's four or five years old. And I'm making her feel bad. And I drive somewhere and stop, pull on the side of the road, and I let her have it about, you ain't going to do this. I can't believe the way you. And she's like, I don't even remember what I did. <laughs> you know, she had no clue. what she, she, she. To her, she was innocent. And I let her have it, and then I pulled off my belt and whooped her little boo honey. And I wanted to make sure she knew she was never going to do that again. Now, who was at fault there? Me. That's part of provoking your children. That's, that's part of driving your children away. That's part of what I started with, that there's no perfect dads. And we all make mistakes. And maybe you've made that mistake, but that's why we're talking about it today. When Kaylee got a little older, she said, Daddy, for $20, I'll be good. I said, oh, yeah, when I was your age, I was good for Nothing. And that's true. (laughs) 
(laughs) Try to make their obedience something desirable for them. And attainable. Something that that they can attain to. Don't set unreasonable goals for them. And, and back it up with love and gentleness. If we don't, we're not painting an accurate p- picture of our Father in heaven. Martin Luther, great Christian scholar and activist, said, keep an apple beside the rod to give the child when he does well. You know, we're, we're all too quick to grab the rod. We're look, that's, maybe they only see that side. But where's the apple when they do good? You know, give them a reason to want to do good. Here's on your sheet. Children need a father's affirmation. Without it, they're ever seeking approval. And sometimes in all the wrong places, right? Without all those people that we talked about, 70% in this, 85% in drugs or whatever, committing suicide, those are people that probably never felt affirmation from their father, probably never grew up and their father said, you're you're becoming a a good young man. You're going to be just fine. Never told his daughter, you're precious. God loves you. You know, you can probably go down to Lamar Avenue and pick any streetwalker up and down Lamar Avenue, and you could pull them to the side, and they would probably tell you, "My dad showed me no affection. That's why I'm here." Uh, they won't know that, but if you if you if they were to, to get to the bottom of their problem, dads touch your children. There is appropriate touch. We have made touch something a naughty word or something because of because of the few that that have abused it. But it's okay, dads, for you to hug your daughter and to kiss them and to kiss your children. Come here, Josh. (laughs) See this? (laughs) That's okay. Maybe the kissing can stop at a certain age. But he can hug me because I have learned some things you know, since I've been a Christian. And uh, affection is so important. It's so sad to see women on the streets. So sad. It didn't have to be like that. Many people who grew up in uh, mostly fatherless homes, you know, lost their dad at a young age or their dad ran off or, or whatever, many of them became notable people in our society. And I'll tell you, I'll name a few. Barack Obama. Bill Clinton, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Confucius, Plato, Aristotle, Muhammad, the false prophet, Genghis Khan, Caesar. These are some you might know. Michael Phelps, the swimmer. Lance Armstrong. Think of the drive for that man to win all those, I mean, excruciatingly painful Tour de France's and all the, riding a bicycle. I can't ride a bicycle around this complex. <laughs> you know, I'd be sore for three weeks. LeBron James, 
There's some notable people that didn't really have a father in the house. But for every overachiever proving something to the world, there's probably hundreds of thousands ruined souls and beaten down and never become what they're called to be. And those overachievers probably are doing it because they're seeking some approval, but they're never getting it and they're never satisfied. What if, what if we could become people who had a sense of how much God loves us, and out of that were born great things. And we could live and enjoy this life and have joy and peace that God designed for us to have without doing everything out of wrong motives or being broken. We are broken many times because there's missing fathers. Fathers, you play such an important role. And God wouldn't have called you to be a father if you weren't able to do it. Now I know our Abba Father in heaven, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, he's holy, he's perfect, he's true, he's just, there's no faults in him at all. How can we compare? Well, we can't. Remember, he sets the bar pretty high. There's no, it's like, well, we, but that doesn't mean you don't try. Because the stakes are too high. You got to try. You got to get better and better. Your, your future generations, this nation, this society is dependent on men to be men of God, men of character, men that will stand up and do what they're called to do in this world. God has given us the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. He's, he's in our hearts. We can do it. We have the power. We have to engage. There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake for us not to. Young teenagers, don't think, well, I'm just going to do my thing and I'm going to sow my wild oats and, and this and that, and then when, you know, maybe later I'll get my... no. Life is too important. It's too short. There are no wasted years. There are, no, there are no extras. If you have your energy and your youth now, use it for God. Don't waste the best years of your life serving the devil and falling for the tricks of the enemy. I don't know where that came from. This is on your sheet. We must realize that dad's ultimate responsibility is to reflect God's goodness. Out of all those things, teaching and guidance and parenting techniques, so we could talk a long time on those things. But your ultimate responsibility is to reflect God's goodness and to steer our children towards a more, more stable reliance on their heavenly father. That is our ultimate responsibility. Are you listening? Okay, steer them to the father that you want to be. Steer them, because you aren't always going to be there. Guess what? One day you may die. You, you have become all to your children. You have told them to count on me. I am the final authority. No, you are not the final authority. Teach them where to find the final authority. Teach them where to find a father who can never let them down. And we'll be there long after you're dead and gone. 
Our ultimate response, we get 18, 20 years before they move out. Well, today, 29 or 30. <laughs> Maybe. 40, 45. But teach them. Hey, if we would teach them, they'd be out by 18. They'd have a sense of, you know, dependence on Father, and they'd have the courage to go out and start life. The reason they're staying at home and being nothing is because they don't know God. They don't know the why, why they exist. If they knew, they couldn't wait to get out and go do what God called them to do. We've got to instill in them the why. God chose Abraham to be the father of many nations for this very reason. He said in Genesis 18, 19, For I know Abraham, God said, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they'll keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. That says, you'll be blessed, fathers. He chose Abraham for great things because he saw Abraham was teaching his children right. Because Abraham taught his children right, God brought things to pass in Abraham's life. It's just a blessing all around. One of the things we do is we make life about everything but our children. Like I said, you only have them in the, in the house for a little while. While they are there, let them be your major priority. Let them be the, the thing. Harmon Killebrew, I think he's a famous baseball player, isn't that right? <coughs> he says, my father used to play with my brother and me in the yard. Mother would come out and say, you're tearing up the grass. We're not raising grass, Dad would reply. We're raising boys. Stop worrying about your carpet a little bit. Look, <laughs> we decided a long time ago, if you've come to our house and seen our carpet, we decided a long time ago that having fun with the children and not being nitpicky about everything and, and just being overly exasperating about, it didn't matter. It don't matter. The children itself matter. We missed the main thing for all the per peripherals. Just because your mom still has plastic on her couch. <laughs> Let's relax a bit and enjoy the time we have with our children. They must be our first priority while they're in our house. Of course, God is always our first priority, but God's first priority as a parent would be your children. So let's learn from our mistakes, start fresh, make time for your children, communicate with them, consistently love and dis discipline them, give them lots of praise when possible, love their mother. Probably the most, one of the most important things you can do as a dad to teach your children love and respect for, your, for their mother. And if you're not married to them anymore, Still treat them nice. It does irreparable harm for you to sit and call them names and, and try to drive a wedge between them and their mother. 
don't do that. Be smarter than that. And ultimately, always point them to God. Somebody's saying, well, it's too late for me now. You know, I've already had my children. My children have moved out, praise the Lord. You know, but do you have grandkids that you can practice this on? You don't have grandkids? Could you be a big brother to somebody? Could you go to, could you work in the nursery? Could you work in the children's church? You know, there's a, you want to see what's wrong with the world? Go look in our, our children's church. Well, our children's church has actually changed. But there was a time I was the only person that worked in the children's church. I was the only man that worked in the children's church for years. And that's a problem. We make it, we put put all women back there like that's the way it's supposed to be. And they ha- those children have no male role models. They think the chur- church is about a bunch of women. And that's why we're bro- growing a bunch of sissies in the church today. <laughs> Boy, I'm just really getting it out there. I'm just telling the truth and everything. Spitting on people? <laughs> did you spill it? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I think mostly on your feet and stuff. We need we need male role models, and, and I'm and let me just say this: I am so proud of our church. I don't know if that's the right term to say, but our church, <laughs> the men outnumber the women at prayer. In fact, <laughs> women, where are y'all? <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. We have the faithfulest women, too. But this is a faithful church. I mean, the men are, are, are showing up. The men are taking responsibility. We have the best men of any church I've ever been a part of. Thank you. <laughs> Lastly, I wrote on your sheet, men, you're too important to God's kingdom and to our society not to take your responsibility as a father. Take seriously your responsibility as a father. That's on your sheet. Why do you think God reveals himself as a father? That was our original question. That's the title of today's message. Why does God reveal himself as a father? Here's my answer. Because it may just be the most important role in the world. Sorry, ladies. But God revealed himself as a father because it may just be the most important role on this earth and in the world. Step up, guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.